Reverend Wendy begins a new series, Lies We Believe. This week's talk is titled Personal Lies and looks at the negative impact of false beliefs that we have about ourselves, including ideas of perfection and why we feel the way we feel. So we are beginning a four-part series this morning, and it is a series called The Lies We Believe. Now, I've got to tell you, I was a little bit nervous last week when Phil announced that this was the theme for the next four weeks, and kind of the, the feeling, the sounds that erupted from the congregation from you, I thought, boy, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. I think I even blurted that out. And you responded enthusiastically that, no, you wanted me to talk about this subject. So I'm just curious, why that initial reaction? Why that initial reaction of the lies we believe? What's she going to talk about? <laughs> Anybody want to venture a, a statement? It seems, uh, it seems so negative. Yeah, all right. It seems negative. Anything else? Fear of the truth, yeah. At first service, somebody blurted out shame, right? And I thought, you know, that word lie actually probably is very charged. And I try very hard in this room with you to very seldom use very charged words. So I think maybe that, that's part of it, but hopefully we'll be able to unpack some of this today. So quite a number of years ago, I came across a book by this same title, The Lies We Believe, written by Dr. Chris Thurman. And I was taken just by the title itself, The Lies We Believe. And so today we're going to take a look at a category of lies that we believe, and I'm calling them personal lies we believe. Next week, we're going to take a look at relationship lies. So if there's anything that's going on in your personal relationships, your family relationships, your work relationships, your friendships, you might definitely want to make plans to be with us uh, next Sunday. And then we'll take a look at professional lives, lies that we tell ourselves, and then we'll conclude with stressful lies. So I was thinking about, of all things yesterday, I was thinking about the Ten Commandments. And I was thinking about how it's been actually a, a little while since I went back and looked at those. And when I went back and looked at them, I was reminded of the Ninth Commandment, which says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And right there, we're being told, essentially, do not lie, right? To give false testimony is to do what? It's to lie. It's to not tell the truth. Now, when we think about lying, we, I think, usually think about not lying to other people. This whole series is a flip. This whole series is about looking at the lies that we tell ourselves about ourselves and about our life. How many of you were raised to be honest, to tell the truth? Raise your hand. Yeah, overwhelmingly. We were raised to be honest, to tell the truth. I know that telling the truth and being honest was a really, really important thing in my family. And I can remember very vividly the first lie that I told. Can you remember the first lie that you told? Was there ever a lie that you told? I'm not going to ask you to say what it was or any of the details, okay? Can you remember a lie that you told when you were pretty young? that had some significant consequences. Maybe you got caught in a lie. 
For me, I remember a lie that I told when I was pretty young, and I got caught in it, and it was a silly lie. For some strange reason, I was in elementary school, and for some strange reason, I wanted a lock of my own hair. I don't know why. Maybe my parents had given me one of those lockets that was popular during that time, and you put either a picture in it or, or a strand of your hair. But for some strange reason, I wanted a lock of my hair. My hair was very long, and I cut off a piece of my hair. I didn't pay any attention to where I cut it off. <laughs> and later that night or the next morning, my mother noticed that my hair looked a little odd from the place that I had cut off this piece of hair, and she asked me what happened. And I didn't tell her the truth. I said, the boy behind me in class <laughs> cut it off. And now I can't remember if she asked me again and then I fessed up or if somehow she figured it out or if I just had a guilty conscience. But, but eventually it became known that I had told this lie. And I do remember feeling terrible for having done it and then I vividly remember the consequences for having lied. And I'm not going to share the three forms of punishment I got to pick from, because this was during an age when really highly conscious parenting had not yet come into vogue. And I do love my parents, and I don't want to paint a not-so-great picture here, but there were consequences, and I got to pick the form of punishment of that lie, but it was so vivid. It was so vivid to me, and it was seared in my very consciousness that I didn't ever really want to do that again. Now, I'm not going to say I've never, ever, ever told a lie since. I, that would be a lie. I think that would be true for all of us. I think that would be true for all of us. But we all instinctively and behaviorally know the importance of telling the truth of telling the truth to other people, but I want us to really look at the importance of telling the truth to ourselves, to ourselves. Here were some readings that I shared this morning with First Service on that, this very topic. The first was from Richard Bach. How many of you re remember Richard Bach, Jonathan Livingston Siegel, was the famous book that he wrote. This wasn't in that book, but it was a statement, uh, a quote by him. The worst lies are the lies we tell ourselves. We live in denial of what we do, even what we think. We do this because we're afraid. Here was one from V.S. Nepal. The only lies for which we are truly punished are those we tell ourselves. Think about that for a moment. We're punished in a different way, I think, for the lies that we tell ourselves. They're like chains that bind us. Derek Landy said the lies we tell other people are nothing to the lies we tell ourselves. Robert Brault said, every lie is two lies, the lie we tell others and the lie we tell ourselves to justify it. So you get the general theme here, and the lies that we tell ourselves literally shape our lives. They shape our lives. If the word lie is too charged for you, the way that I'm using it in this series, you could substitute the word or the words, the stories I tell myself. Because that's what this is really about. What are the stories that you tell yourself? What are the stories that you've bought into and that now have become so much a part of you, perhaps they're in your unconscious now, but they are still very much shaping the quality of your life experience? 
We want to together do a better job of practicing telling ourselves the truth. Because the lies that we tell ourselves hold us back. They keep us hostage. And you and I are not meant to live lives in bondage. We are meant to live lives spiritually free. But unless we become, by choice, aware of the common kinds of lies that we tell ourselves, we will be trapped by them. They will reside beneath the surface of our awareness, but though they will be residing beneath the surface of our awareness, they will very much be shaping externally the life that we are living. Our brain is a recording device, would you not agree? And the more we think in certain ways, the more repetitive our thoughts are, the more repetitive our lies are, the more repetitive our beliefs are, the deeper the grooves, and then it becomes even easier to fall right into that lie. So we're kind of kind of fill in these ruts and these grooves with the truth. Make sense? All right. Going to look at five lies we tell ourselves, and I bet you you will be able to relate to each and every one of them. They are either lies that you've been telling yourself and are still telling yourself now, or maybe they are things you've been working on for quite a little while. The very first lie, I am not enough. You knew that was going to be that one, huh? I am not enough. That is an absolute blatant lie. You are enough. You have always been enough. How could you, as a child of God, as a child of the universe, how could you not be enough? Does not mean that there is no room for improvement or growth. Doesn't mean that. But you are absolutely exactly as you are right in this very moment. You are enough. It is unfortunate to me, deeply unfortunate to me actually, that traditional Christianity has taken this lie even further, even further than to suggest not only are you not enough, but you are somehow inherently bad, inherently flawed. How could you look at an infant and ever think reasonably, rationally, logically, how could you ever look at any infant and ever think that that little being is inherently flawed, that that little being somehow is bad? I don't, don't have the time to go into it in the service. I spent a lot of time in our class on Wednesday evening talking, talking about this. The whole idea of being inherently flawed or being born in original sin is a church doctrine and teaching. You will not find it in the Bible itself called out as original sin. And so we have got to make sure that we understand and break free from this lie that we are not enough. You are enough. I am enough. We are enough. I want you to affirm with me. I am enough. Together. I am enough. Take it more softly and deeply. I am enough. I am enough. Can you imagine if we were able to wipe that lie out of the soul and consciousness of every person on the planet, the healing that could happen? Because it is when we feel flawed, it is when we somehow feel not enough, 
that we are capable of doing horrible things. When we feel whole, we don't do horrible things. In the class on Wednesday night, somebody shared with me that when he brought his wife to Unity, to this service once or twice, he comes, she does not come. He shared that she really had a problem with the meditation time. And the problem was that she thought, for sure, I was brainwashing you, that I was doing mind control when I got you all quiet. I'm not. I mean, you are, there's no way I could do anything like, like that. But it made me think of this whole idea of brainwashing. And while we look at the idea of brainwashing as very negative, I think, you know, there could be a positive aspect to it. If I could wash everybody's brain of lies that limit them or make them feel bad, I'd love to have that power. Don't you have people in your life that you love that you know are struggling with, with false beliefs about themselves or about how life works? Don't you wish that you could just wash that away from them so that they could feel a sense of their spiritual power and greatness? I know I feel that way. So number one lie, got to get rid of it. I am not enough. The truth is you are enough. Second is I must be... Perfect. Somebody's looking at my notes. I must be perfect. I must be perfect. Well, you can't. That is an automatic setting yourself up for a life of unhappiness and frustration and dissatisfaction because it is not possible to be perfect. It is possible to grow. <clears throat> we are meant to grow. And it is possible and I think desirable to pursue excellence within certain realms and areas. But pursuing excellence is very different than trying to achieve perfection. David Burns wrote this on perfectionism. I do not mean the healthy pursuit of excellence by people who take genuine pleasure in striving to meet high standards. Without concern for quality, life would seem shallow and true accomplishment would be rare. I am talking about those whose standards are high beyond reach or reason, people who strain compulsively and unremittingly toward impossible goals, and who measure their own worth entirely in terms of productivity and accomplishment. For these people, the drive to excel can only be self-defeating. There is such a world of difference between striving to be perfect or believing we must be per perfect when in fact we cannot be and pursuing excellence. Aren't you glad that there are people who pursue excellence in certain areas of their life? I really want my doctors to pursue excellence in medicine. I have a very strong preference for that. I prefer to have our musicians pursue and strive for excellence in their gift of their talents and music on Sunday morning. But that's very different than perfection. I strive in a silly little way to create the most perfectly beautiful, symmetrical, over-the-top large blueberry pie. And I take great satisfaction in picking out the perfect blueberries. I am not kidding you. I'm not, but I would do that 
if nobody else ever saw it. Because in some silly little way, but happy way, that gives me enjoyment. The pursuit of excellence, I think, is, is akin to our spirituality in this way that we are each here to, to be a blessing and to make contributions to one another, to the betterment of our human family. And within those areas where we feel a certain passion or we have a certain talent, it is spiritually natural for us. It's almost a logical consequence that we would want to do that as well as we possibly can. And when we do, we feel a sense of satisfaction. It's not a drivenness, it is a joy of completion. Does that make sense? So watch that, and don't ever let somebody, if you're making a blueberry pie, don't let somebody tell you, oh, you're a perfectionist. Only you will know if it's the pursuit of perfection that's behind what it is you are doing, or the pursuit of pure excellence and joy. Does that make sense? It's really, really important. This is why Jesus said, we should not be concerned about our neighbors. He said, don't be so concerned about the speck in your brother's eye that you don't see the log in your own eye. In other words, don't do somebody else's inventory. Don't name what it is that you think that they are doing. Don't you think you have enough of your own inner work to do? I know I have enough of my own inner work to do that I really don't need to be sidetracked by trying to fix somebody else. Amen? Amen. Amen. Third lie, I must have everyone's approval. Do you see how common these are? We know them because they are so common and because we tend to get stuck in them. I must have everyone's approval. Well, this is impossible. You're just not going to get it. Have you noticed that? I mean, have you noticed that you're just not going to get everyone's approval, even people that we admire tremendously? Jesus as teacher and way shower certainly didn't get everybody's approval. In fact, quite the opposite, so much so that they crucified him. I'd say that's not getting a very high approval rating. Gandhi didn't get everybody's approval. Martin Luther King Jr. certainly didn't get everybody's approval. Mother Teresa didn't get everybody's approval. We can go on and on and on. And what happens when we are living in this energy of needing everyone else's approval to somehow feel all right, we will find ourselves forever flip-flopping and never really being our true selves. We will be more like a chameleon, changing colors and changing styles and changing ways of being just so that we get what we are looking for that we think is going to make us feel better, and that is somebody else's approval. But if the approval we are getting is for someone who we are not actually, not for, for, our, for an inauthentic version of ourselves, it can never be satisfying. It just won't be satisfying. The only kind of love and approval when we do get it that feels satisfying is when it is love or approval or appreciation because you've been your genuine self with that person and in that relationship. Another way of saying it is you've allowed yourself, your true self, to be seen. And then when that true self is seen and there is some appreciation for that, that feels good. But if we are living our lives expecting for everybody to, to approve of us, which is a back-end way of saying we don't want to deal with any conflict or any criticism, right? Part of the pursuit for approval is the avoidance, I want to avoid 
anybody being upset with me. Oh my gosh, did I pick the wrong field to go into. When I began ministry, I had no idea what ministry was really like. When people come through these doors sometimes and after a while say, I want to do what you do, I think that's only because you don't know what I really do. And that's only because you only see what I call the icing on the cake, the fun, joyful experience here of sharing with you and not the rest of it, not the anonymous criticisms, not the fact that not everybody that comes to church comes for the same reasons. Not at all, not at all. And not everyone who sits in this room or in any other room like it is coming from the same place of emotional maturity or spiritual development. And actually that is as it should be. I just didn't know that when I started. And so I had certain beliefs or expectations that everybody would always act loving and kind and responsive and helpful we'll move on. <laughs> so watch the lie that says, I must have everyone's approval. You're just not going to get it. And when you feel yourself looking for that, ask yourself, what are you giving up in that moment? Are you stopping being who you really are? Because if you are, then you're really losing an awful lot. The fourth, I can't be happy unless things go my way. I used to say, the way a person handles a no is a true litmus test of how much they have grown emotionally and spiritually. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. The way a person handles a no is very revelatory in terms of how much they have grown emotionally or spiritually. The more we grow emotionally and spiritually, the more we are able to handle a no, the more we are able to handle when things don't go the way that we want them to. And have you noticed that that happens quite a lot? No? Have you noticed that life is kind of set up to help you transform this lie? You know, people talk when you wish they would be quiet. People don't drive like you. I mean, wouldn't the world be much nicer if everybody drove exactly the way you wanted them to? <laughs> right. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. So I can't be happy unless everything is going the way that I want it to. The reality is a lot of things aren't going to go the way that you want them to go. But the truth of the matter is, regardless of how things are going, and this is a deep, really important spiritual principle, we are always 100% responsible for how we choose to be in that situation. How we choose to be. Things may not go the way that I want them to go. In fact, they may go really badly, but ultimately, there is nobody responsible for how I react but me. And the truth is, I can always make a choice. I can choose to be happy. I can choose to be calm. I can choose to be kind. I can choose to be loving, even when everything around me is not at all the way I want it to be. And boy, is that a real demonstration of our spiritual growth and our spiritual progress. Does that make sense? Yeah.
Okay, and the last one. It's someone else's fault. The way I feel. It's someone else's fault. Another way of saying it, it's someone else is responsible. They pushed my buttons. Whose buttons are they? <laughs> right? Whose buttons are they? It's someone else's fault I feel the way I do. No, it's not someone else's fault that you feel the way you do. It is still a response that you are entirely responsible for and in control of. Doesn't mean that we always exercise that control. It doesn't mean that we always remember that control. But that doesn't negate the fact that we are the ones that are in control. We will be giving away a tremendous amount of power if we continue to believe in lies such as this one and the fourth one, a tremendous amount of power, we resume our spiritual and our personal power to the extent that we realize that we are the ones always unequivocally responsible for whatever it is we are feeling in the moment, no matter what is going on around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I've shared with you five lies. You got almost all of them like that right away, which tells me that we're, we're aware of these. Where did they come from? Where did they come from? Partly, well, probably how we were raised. Any other places that might have helped us with these lies? Ever listen to some of our music? Some of the lyrics? Ever watch some of our movies? Ever watch some of the advertisements, right? We're bombarded with these kinds of lies. And all that means is it's not an excuse for not doing the work. All it means is we need to be vigilant in doing the work and paying attention to, uh-oh, what lie, what story is moving around in my head and forming a really deep groove. So the lies very quickly were, I am not enough. It is a lie. You are enough. I must be perfect. No, you don't have to be. Number three, I must have everyone's approval. No, you don't, and you will never get it anyway. Number four, I can't be happy unless things go my way. Oh, yes, you can. You can still have a preference for how you'd like things to go, but even when they don't go your way, it's still up to you to respond in, with your own personal power. And the last, it's someone else's fault. I feel as I do. No, it's not. You're the one with the thoughts and you're the one with the feelings, as am I. Next week, relationship lies. Are you ready? Yeah. Kind of, sort of, maybe. I don't know. That's what it's going to be anyway. God bless you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. The Unity Center, transforming lives and healing our world. Check us out Sundays at 9 and 11. Subscribe to our podcasts and download our free app for instant access to a wealth of spiritual teachings, services, and events.